KMTT, Ki Mitzion Tetzay Torah, welcome back. And today is Wednesday, and in this summer's man, the Wednesday share will be given by Harav Moshe Tarragon, a share on ethical character, midot, ethical attributes and character, Harav Moshe Tarragon. I mentioned in the previous year, regarding the trade of Leiftov, the great challenge which Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai lodged before his Talmidim, his five Talmidim, to discover the seminal trait of religion. I mentioned in the previous year that Rabbi Lezah ben Arach nominated Leif Tov, and his Rebbe, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, actually acknowledged this indeed was the cardinal trait, inclusive of all other traits. But one of his Talmidim, Rabbi Yoshua, offered a different idea. Chaver Tov, friendship. Mishra felt that friendship would constitute the foundation of ethics and perhaps even more. The notion of friendship as a trait central both to ethical and in many ways broader religious opportunities is evoked by a very interesting Rashi commenting on a Gemara in Shabbos. The Gemara in Shabbos on Daf Lamed Aleph, a very well-known Gemara, describes a candidate for conversion who approached Shammai and demanded that he be converted al regal achas. Immediately, instant. He didn't want to engage in an arduous or protracted process of studying religion and gradual conversion. So, what happened was that Shammai, the purist, didn't want to distort or misrepresent Torah. So he asked him to leave. In fact, he very, very violently escorted him out of the room or out of the building. Hillel was much more flexible and, in our terminology, was willing to play ball or was willing to at least present Judaism in the way that the candidate expected it presumably with the hope that, given time, this conversion candidate would realize the complexity of Judaism and the inability to convert as rapidly and as instantaneously as he had hoped. So Hillel paraphrases Rabbi Akiva's very well-known description of the Ahavta Lerecha Kamocha as a Klal Gadol Batara. Akiva felt that it's an important mitzvah, but it's not just an important mitzvah, it's also a paradigmatic mitzvah. It's a mitzvah which can serve as a template for other mitzvahs. When Rekiva employed the term klal, he didn't just mean that it's important, but that it's a template. It's a model, and from this model of klal, you can presumably derive all other mitzvahs, like a av being used to derive the tolda. The model of av and tolda is well known to us from Hilchah Shabbos, with the 39 av melachos, and numerous talados, numerous derivatives. So Mikiva employed the term Klagada Batara, presumably he meant it's not just an important mitzvah, but it's a modular or a paradigmatic mitzvah that can be used as a template. And Hillel, really 200 years before, 150 years before Bikiva, Hillel, um, Hillel already sensed that the mitzvah of Haftalamecha Kamacha could be used as the starting point, as the portal. So Hillel told this convert. He basically paraphrased the Torah speaks in very abstract terms about love. 
Hillel translates it into more concrete terms about don't do unto others as you would not want to do unto yourself. And Hillel turned to this convert and says, Idach Perusha, the rest is just the explanation, Zilgmor. Namely, if you excel in the you will arrive, you will evolve at a full-blown or fully developed religious and ethical sensitivity. Rashi poses a very interesting question implicitly. The implicit question in Rashi's commentary in Masecha Shabbos is, it's one thing to arrive at general ethics and, and morality through excellence in the but presumably this convert intended the full sweep of religion, not just bin Adam Lamakam, or not just bin Adam Lachavero, but bin Adam Lamakam as well. Full conversion constitutes acceptance of the entire Torah, not just the ethical tradition of Torah. So this convert intended to arrive at the entirety of Torah, including the ritual sections. How would excellence in the area of the Avtalarecha facilitate or enable that awareness of that development? So Rashi begins in his comments in Shabbos by citing a Pasuk in Shabbos, a Pasuk in Mishlei, the Parach of Zion, Re'acha, it's a pasuk about friendship. Don't desert, don't abandon your friend, don't betray or desert your father's friend. Rashi and Shabbos interprets this friend as a reference to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Zah Kaddish Baruch Hu, al ta'avor al dvarav, shreyalav sanoi, shayavar chavercha al dvarecha. One of the ways Rashi claims in which we relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is as a friend. Of course, he's our father, he's our creator, he's the creator of the universe, he's a judge, he's a melech. There's so many ways in which we envision him, in which we develop an interface between ourselves and him. But one of those profiles, one of those profiles, according to Rashi, is the profile of friendship. It would seem to be a very odd profile to apply to HaKadosh Baruch Hu or to encase and frame our relationship with Kuchibrechu, friendship, not because of the equality or the equity which it suggests, but because presumably the impulse to adhere to Kodesh Baruch Hu's will isn't one which has to draw its mandate from friendship. We, we believe in the transcendence and the eternity of Kodesh Baruch Hu's will, the manner in which it redeems the human condition. We feel passionate about its rectitude and its inner logic. We don't serve HaKadosh Baruch because we're loyal. We serve HaKadosh Baruch because we identify the meaning of religion and celebrate the opportunity to conform our will to His. Evidently, Rashi is striking at a very important message. There are times in our religious cycle where we do have that passion, that enthusiasm, that identification, and that ability to synchronize our will with the will of HaKadosh Baruch but there are undoubtedly times in which we're much more sterile emotionally, much less enthusiastic and much less driven in our emotional quest. And sometimes religion is successful not simply based on the intensity and the passion of our emotions, but on the consistency and durability of the religious experience, our ability to perform religiously day in, day out, both during moments of religious high as well as during moments of religious waning. And... Rashi suggests that there are times we serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not because of the passion which drives us and the identification and the ideology which um, stirs us or inspires us, but because we're just loyal to HaKadosh Baruch Hu 
out of recognition of everything he has done for us, since we were born, breathing life, breathing health, breathing opportunity into us, even during moments in which we've rebelled against his wishes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu continues to sustain us and to support us. And loyalty is not a trait expressed between people of convergent interests. When people's interests converge, they're not loyal to one another. They have naturally identical interests, and that convergence leads to partnership, leads to solidarity of interest and community of purpose. A person is loyal to an individual who's very different from him, whose life has departed from his, whose trajectory or interests have diverged, and you're loyal to that person because you share a common past, because that person performed favors for you, or even casual experiences such as friendship and growing up together, which isn't an outright or frontal favor, but simply because you shared your past and you were there for one another, even in a very, very innocent way. And Rashi is suggesting, according to Rashi, Hillel was actually implying that this skin or that this perspective be applied to the man-divine, man-God relationship, specifically or precisely to cover those moments in which we need loyalty to sustain religious performance, in which we, so to speak, our interests and God's interests diverge or depart. We aren't particularly enthusiastic or excited, inspired about performing the divine summons. At that moment, we summon our loyalty and we reciprocate HaKadosh Baruch Hu's favor to us by maintaining his will and obeying his interests. And according to Hillel, this is the key to religion. And friendship would uh, yield not just general ethical excellence, but even success in ritual-based mitzvahs, matzah, tefillin, sukkah, tzitzit, talmud Torah, because it is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will. So none other than Hillel, at this very critical passage of this convert into Judaism, Ideed, friendship. Re'acha, re'avicha, according to Rashi, friendship as a cornerstone of religious identity. And it was something which one of the Talmidim, Yochanan ben Zakeh, Rabbi Yoshua, reiterated that day which the Talmidim were given that contest. The truth is, in a well-known way, um, very, very well-known Mishnah, the notion of chaveros, a friendship, and the, the need to sacrifice and to locate friends, to sacrifice to be a friend and to locate the right type of friend, was already suggested a little bit earlier, before B'yochanan ben Zakkai and his Talmidim, by one of the very, very early members of the Tanoim. Very early in the Mishnayas of Perkyavos, Yoshua ben Prachia Venita Harabeli, this team of Tanoim, the early stages of the Tanaitic movement, Kiblu Mehem, Yeshua ben Prachia, well-known troika of statements, the first part of the statement speaks about forging relationships with rabbinic figures, the last part of the sentence about favorable judgments about others, delivered an earlier share, a previous share about judgmentalism and criticism of others. Um, he speaks about Danis Kal Chaver but beforehand about Chaver Tov, What's interesting is the, the contrast between Aselacha Rav, forging or fi- finding, locating a Rebbe, and Kinelacha Chavar, purchasing a friend. We speak today in very, very, um, what's, what's what I'm looking for? We speak today in very um, cynical terms about people who buy friends, who um, purchase 
yes men or people who don't really befriend them but are interested in their money. I think Yeshua ben Prachi was interested in purchasing friends. But just as a purchase entails the sacrifice of resource and the delivery of personal resource on behalf of an item, yeah, on behalf of the purchased item, similarly friendship demands time investment, commitment of time, resources, energies, and emotions. Friendship is not something to take for granted or something which occurs automatically without effort. It entails great effort to build friendships, to sustain friendships, and to sacrifice on behalf of friendships. The Mishnah in Avos is very terse, mentioning merely Kneel HaChaver. But the elaboration in Avos Rav Nasan describes the type of friends which Yeshua ben Prachi was suggesting. Kneel HaChaver, Ketzad, Melame Cheyikn Adam Chaver Liatzmo Sheyochal Imo, Yishte Imo, Yikra Imo, Yishana Imo, Yishan Imo, Yigalelo, Kol Starav, Sisrei Tarav, Sisrei Derech Eretz. There's a pretty long laundry list of experiences. What's notable within this list is, first of all, learning together. Um, certainly those who have tasted the experience of Chavrusa learning, or general learning with others in a communal setting, recognize it as an opportunity, first and foremost, to share Torah, to bounce your ideas off of others, and to develop both your ideas and your thought process to the healthy, hopefully, and and, and genuine criticism and critique of others. Um, it's certainly an exciting Torah experience. It's an energetic and almost contagious energetic experience where you feed off of the energy of others. But beyond the, privilege, the, beyond the advantages for the Torah study per se, studying Torah with others affords incredible foundation for friendship. Friendships that people forge over Torah, over Torah study, over the search and the pursuit of the eternal are friendships which themselves are eternal. The friendship is flavored with the, um, the source upon which, or through which, that friendship was developed. And the stronger the source, the, obviously the stronger the friendship. People talk about friendship uh, built in war, one of the conditions of crisis. Uh, he's the type of person I would share a foxhole with. That type of expression suggests that under moments of duress, true friendship comes through. And whether it's prior friendship that proves itself under moments of stress, or many, very often friendships are built through stress and through duress. It's precisely that notion which assumes that Talmud Torah as a foundation of friendship creates a more powerful form of friendship. Um, another notable part about this list is not just people to eat with and drink with and learn Torah with and sleep with and travel with, but yegalelo it's a friend who you feel comfortable enough to share secrets. And presumably that comfort level is because you trust him not to have an agenda or an axe to grind and to respond with healthy, positive, constructive criticism. Too often we withhold, and we legitimately withhold our secrets and our innermost thoughts because we're concerned that as close as we feel to others, uh, they always uh, have personal agendas, either... Um, either antagonistic and hostile or just personal and very often personal agendas cause people to be sharp and critical to us. And we avoid sharing issues which may um, in some ways exacerbate or escalate some of that antagonism. When you find that friend, whether it's a spouse, a good friend, a parent, a child, a moral figure, who you feel 
loves you deeply enough without any reservation, without any jealousy, that you can solicit their advice and in many ways their critique without fear that they bear a grudge, hold a grudge, or even view you uh, in any colored form or fashion. It's a very, very valuable asset. It's a valuable friendship that Yeshua ben Prachia spoke of. He wasn't speaking about uh, casual friendship, yes men, people who affirm your identity and your lifestyle, but people who challenge your lifestyle and haunt you with um, ideas and values that you may not be capable of reaching on your own, and they challenge you to try to aspire to those values. So these are really the two moments in Chazal where the concept of friendship is spotlighted in the description of the five Talminim of Yochanan ben Zakkai, and in Yeshua ben Prachi's well-known statement, one of the um, one of the derivatives of friendship, I spoke before about loyalty, about commitment to another person, to their needs, even when those needs don't dovetail with yours, and you're just loyal to them. Another related trait about friendship is the trait of hakarasatov, the trait of gratitude. We don't just feel loyalty that we, so to speak, uh, you know, are loyal to our past and will we'll respond to those needs, the needs of our past, but one could say even deeper level of hakar satov, of gratitude to people who have overtly touched us and helped us and changed our lives in a positive sense. Um, the very well-known Sefer, one of the, obviously not one of the original Musar Svar, because it predates the official formal Musar movement, it was certainly adopted and seen as one of the classic books of Musar, the Chovas Halvavos, Penabachia ben Pekuda. And in his Sefer, well-known, he itemizes Hakar Satov as the central trait of religious identity. And because recognizing the favors and the generosity of others will hopefully lead a person to recognize the generosity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and adhere and obey HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Um, it's a very interesting medrash in the beginning of Shemos. Um, the Pesach describes a new king ascending the throne of Egypt with harsher persecution and more um, oppressive decrees against the Jews, laws against the Jews. Pesach in the Torah, Vayaka Melech Chadash. So the Gemara in Selta quotes a very interesting machlokas between Rav and Shmuel. One says it really was a new king, and one says it was an old king who just escalated the persecution and exacerbated the Zeres against Am Yisrael. So the Gemara questions if it was really a, an old king. So what does the end of the Pasuk refer to when it says, Asher lo yadas Yosef? I mean, if it was a new king, perhaps the new king didn't recognize Yosef, wasn't familiar with him and all of his efforts on behalf of Egypt. But if it was an old king who decided to um, intensify the discrimination, what does the Pasuk refer to? Asher lo yadas Yosef. So the Gemara answers, Kemandal yadale klal. He forgot Yosef's, so to speak, um, it just happened, incidentally. Forgot all of Yosef's feats and efforts on behalf of the Egyptian people, because had he remembered, he would not have been capable of such cruelty. Medrash comments, um, a person who doesn't recognize and isn't grateful to others the matter says, Lamacharhu Asid Lamar Loyadati Hashem. 
So the inability to be grateful to others may crimp a person's ability to fully sense gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and to translate that gratitude into religious sensitivity or religious attitude. Um, so sensing gratitude as a central trait of ethical behavior, and again, the type of trait that can itself serve as a sedgeway into theology and the overall service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not just ethics and morality, is something which Rabbeinu Bachia popularized, but Chazal were well aware of in that Medrash and Shmos regarding Melech Mitzrayim. Joseph Stalin, well-known criminal, obviously, of the 20th century, one of the two great criminals of the 20th century, murdered millions of people, once commented that gratitude is a, suffer- is a sickness suffered by dogs. And certainly, as we would say in Hebrew, Ra'i hadavar lemisha amra. That statement certainly fits, is, uh, is appropriate for Stalin to have said. One can imagine that Stalin had to cauterize many, many human sensitivities and sensibilities in order to commit the types of uh, grievous crimes which he was guilty of. And presumably one of those emotions which he had to dull or anesthetize is the emotion of gratitude. He was notorious for routinely murdering his allies, his his colleagues, and sort of shifting his leadership in his mind, renewing his leadership. And the person who had a had gratitude to people who have shared initiatives, who have built whatever system he felt he built, would have been incapable of murdering those people. And he is absolutely right, so to speak, from a purely intellectual standpoint, that gratitude is, I won't call it a sickness, but it is a, it is a debt. It's a burden, a healthy burden, a morally ennobling burden to those who have delivered, to those who have assisted us. And it's a burden which can, in many ways, inhibit the freedom of our decisions. And from Stalin's standpoint, the man who wanted to be free to murder wantonly had to liberate himself from the tyrannizing influence of gratitude. Of course, from our standpoint, it's that burden and debt which is part of our purity and part of our nobility, part of our dignity. Um, It's not just that gratitude limits our capabilities and limits our options, but it also reminds us of our dependency. A lot of people um, ignore the trait of gratitude because it makes them feel less independent recognizing, acknowledging that your success is a product of other people's contribution, sacrifice, efforts, and interest, um, diminishes that sense of independence. Many people need that sense of independence and almost invulnerability, invincibility. Gratitude reminds us of our dependability and very often of our vulnerability. And for some people, that's an uncomfortable reality to ponder. And if gratitude highlights or emphasizes that dependency, then they're less apt to feel gratitude. Um, I mentioned before the inability of Pyro to sense gratitude to Yosef and the slippery, or the fall down the slippery slope into um, denial of God. Hashem. Um, the very next Parsha, in Parsha's bow, right after Parsha Shmos, where Pyro forgets Yosef and, so to speak, ignores HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Torah describes the, um, the uh, miracle of Dom, several of the other Makos, and Despite Moshe's celebrity status and essential role in the Exodus, Aaron is asked to perform some of these miracles, those which have to do with the Nile and the dirt, to hit the Nile, to hit the dirt. 
And Rashi, of course, quotes the Medrash. Since the Nile protected Moshe Rabbeinu when he was hidden, and, and the dirt protected Moshe by concealing the Egyptian that he had murdered, so it was inappropriate for Moshe to, to smite or to, anyway, disrespect the Nile and the dirt by imposing curses and plagues upon them. So Aaron substituted for Moshe, so to speak. And it's a very strange medrash because we often associate gratitude with people, with other individuals who will, um, who will be flattered and will feel the compliment and the closeness of our emotion of gratitude. If I express gratitude to a human being, they'll feel honored and um, they'll recognize that there's an emotional response which gratitude is meant to elicit. And if I don't show gratitude, I show betrayal, then I'll insult them. It's a little bit odd to imagine gratitude in the um, to imagine gratitude toward an inanimate object without any spirit. And the point of this medrash, the point of Rashi, as is the point with many, if not most, of moral virtues and character traits, is that they're reflexive, not just directed at the recipient, but they also constitute noble, dignified, godlike moral behavior. And there's almost an egocentrism to moral behavior, not just an altruism, not just servicing others and relieving their distress, but forging and sculpting an ethical personality. And in this case, the recipient is completely neutralized, completely irrelevant, because the recipient has no capacity to sense gratitude and certainly won't be insulted in the absence of a show or an expression of gratitude. But Moshe himself has to be trained to be honest. Moshe himself has to be trained to be ethical. And he can't hit the rock, uh, he can't, excuse me, hit the uh, Nile River or smite the earth. They say about Rav Gusman, Zechot Tzadik Levracha, who is Eloi in Vilna, subsequently was a Rosh Hashiv in Chaim Berlin, and then towards the end of his life founded Yeshiv in Yisholayim and published many svarim, many, many popular svarim known as Kuntras HaShirim, very, very nice essays on some of the major mesechtels highlighting the skills of classic brisker lambdas, one could say. And um, they say that he used to water the plants outside his yeshiva in Yerushalayim, the yeshiva Netzach Yisrael on the corner of Rechov Ramban and Rechov Evan Ezra in the heart of Yerushalayim. He would personally water the plants, I guess, when he was still able to. And when he was asked, well, why are you personally watering the plants? You have so many others who would be happy to water on your behalf. He said, because I hid in the plants as a partisan in Europe, and I feel that I owe these plants Hakar Satov personally. Very similar to Moshe. Grossman joined the partisans in Europe, and reputably he hunted down the people who murdered his family and killed them with his bare hands. He felt there was a responsibility to exact revenge as a goal Adam. He was a very burly and strong person. Evidently he found these people and he exacted that type of revenge. But at certain stages of his flight from Hitler, when he had joined the partisans, he was forced to sequester in the plants and shrubbery and forests, and he felt that he owed plants and forests in general a debt of Akar Satov. Well, it goes without saying that those plants and shrubbery in Yerushalayim were not the same plants which hit him in Germany or Poland. But, and, and even if they were, which they weren't, plants are incapable of responding to a show of gratitude. But he was merely expressing the issue which Chazal speak, that every ethical trait, and certainly gratitude, is reflexive. It isn't just necessary to service the emotional needs or, in some cases, the material needs of the recipient of ethics and virtue, 
but also to sculpt and craft an ethical personality. Um, there's probably one other portrait of gratitude, if it's gratitude or loyalty. I think it's more loyalty because it doesn't seem to be gratitude, but it seems as the portrait of Moshe Rabbeinu, um, not from Parshas Bo, from Parshas Bishalach. The beginning of Bishalach begins with very, very frantic descriptions of the hurried exodus, um, the they're traveling, they're moving, and there's only one person who remembers the promise made to Yosef HaTzadik hundreds of years earlier to remove his body and to bury him in Eretz Yisrael, and Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe could have had a very easy out or a very easy excuse, exoneration, because he was busy leading the people, and maybe someone else should have attended to the nitty-gritty details of removing his casket, Yosef's casket, but Moshe, and the Pasuk describes that Moshe takes it not because um, you know, he's celebrating um, as the leader, but he just remembers the oath that the brothers took to Yosef. He remembers the oath and he's loyal. Uh, and it's really an oath that all brothers had shared, but Moshe probably senses that loyalty to Yosef more than anyone else. And the Gemara Nazar actually has a very interesting statement. Gemara is trying to derive the fact that a person who is impure because they touched a dead body, they can't enter a Machne Shechina, they can't come into the base of Mikdash, but they can enter Machne Levia. They can come into that second orbit of the Jewish encampment where the Levium resided. And the Gemara derives this from Moshe. Moshe obviously was a Levi and resided in Machne Levia, yet he was impure for much of the 40 years because he was personally carrying remains of Yosef, Eikach Moshe, Es Atzmos Yosef Imo, the Gemara interprets my Imo, Imo B'mechitzaso, so he was very frequently Tameh, and yet he, of course, resided in Machna Leviyah, so this must indicate that a person who is impure based on contact with a dead body can enter Machna Leviyah. But Moshe didn't delegate or issue this responsibility to others. He tended to it personally as an act of honor, as an act of loyalty to Yosef, and to the promise and oath with which the brothers had offered Yosef, so if Moshe in Parshas Bo demonstrates gratitude in Parshas B'Shalach, it seems as if he excels in the trait of loyalty, the two traits which underwrite the experience of friendship.